Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Okay. I know you're tired here, but that's enough. Um, we have uh, we have a guest time. Before that, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, number one, uh, again, the hurricane that went through uh, a week and a half ago. If uh, they're still needing donations so if you are so inclined to donate to stuff like that it would be greatly appreciated go through the american red cross that is the best way the the safest way that you can do just uh if you want to donate contact american red cross and just tell them you want it for the uh, hurricane that went through uh, florida and they'll get it to the right spot and right people also 17th i just found is Wife Appreciation Day in America. Uh, they have a day set aside for it. You know, I mean, you should appreciate your wife all the time, but it's actually Wife Appreciation Day on the 17th of this month. So, what is it, 10 days from now? So, uh, you know, whatever you do special to appreciate your wife, that's the day for it. Um, I, yeah, it seems silly, but okay, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, Another thing, football starts tonight, the NFL season. You all know I'm a football fan, so the NFL season starts tonight. And the Chiefs are playing Detroit. And so, uh, you know, go Chiefs. So, um, and uh, I think that's all the announcements I have to make here. We have a guest. I have been talking about the podcast I heard, oh, guess it's a month ago now, about American Native American grapes and origins and all that stuff. I was excited about the podcast. I really enjoyed it. And I told you that I was going to put it up on the Facebook page. I didn't because I wanted to get the guys that were on the podcast on the show and talk with them first. And then I'll put the podcast up. So we talked, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, two weeks ago. We talked with uh, Clark Smith, and he was uh, he was fascinating. But we have he also mentioned someone two or three times during our interview. Uh, Jerry Eisterhold, is it? Um, uh, it is. Uh, thank no. you for pronouncing it correctly. You're the third person so far. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, uh, Jerry Eisterhold is our guest tonight. He is. Uh, actually, the uh, owner of uh, Terra Box Winery, which is located in North Kansas City, and 
he is also a big, big fan of Native American grapes, and he has a bunch of them growing. So he has been sent here patiently waiting for me while I've been talking for a while here. Oh, by the way, too, I, one more announcement. Mike is not with us tonight. You normally hear him in the background make comments. Mike is not with us. He is under the weather, been sick pretty much all week. Not COVID, I don't believe, because he saw a doctor today and they, he didn't say anything about COVID. So I don't think it's, it's COVID, but he's under the weather. He will be back next week. And as far as I know, he'll be on Saturday morning on his uh, Flightline radio uh, program also from seven to nine. So check that out and he'll, he'll be back up on that, but he's not with us tonight. So, okay. We're all set. Jerry, welcome to all about wine. Howdy. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Caravox is located in North Kansas city. And we need to talk about this for a few minutes because I am originally from North of the river in Kansas city. And, uh, I'm, can't picture where you're located. Uh, well, technically, we're in unincorporated uh, Platte County, uh, north of uh, Kansas City. We're on those uh, those Los Hills that are uh, that that kind of parallel the Missouri River between oh. here and Iowa. Okay, okay. Now I know I know just about where you're. So you're south of St. Joe. You're right around Weston. Then I would say. Uh, Weston's about 10 minutes from us. We're, we're about midway between St. Joe and downtown Kansas city, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I know where you are. Yeah. That was, uh, tobacco growing country and apple growing country up in there for a number of years. I grew up, you know, with that in that area there. Um, good, good for growing. Like you say, the, uh, grapes and all that. So native American grapes, Tell me about Native American grapes. Tell our listeners about Native American grapes. I mean, there are a lot more of them than what people imagine. And they, well, we have the father of Native American grapes. Uh, and I've got a blank in my head right now, but you know. Um, You're talking about the TV Munson? I yes, think? Munson, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, there, there were many fathers. Um but uh, well, where to begin? I, uh, I I caught in part of your intro that one of your missions is to uh, simplify grapes and wine for uh, for your audience, and I uh, unfortunately I think we're heading in the opposite direction. We're trying to confuse people. Thank you for it. But this uh, this little uh, adventure began with just finding a book that uh, the aforementioned Thomas Waldy Munson had written based on the uh, exhibit he had put together for the 1893 Columbia Exposition in Chicago. And in it, he had um, identified 31 genuses of grapes that grew on the planet. And for those of you who know or don't know horticulture, you have your, uh, you know, within each genus, you have a number of cultivars, such as uh, within vinifera, you have uh, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Pinot, the stuff that most people are familiar with. And there's another genus called Labrusca, where you have Concord and uh, O Catawba, you know, some, uh, well, uh, purely American grapes, where you get Welch's grape juice and Manischewitz and, uh, and things like that. Um, and they are generally known for their, are uh, described as having a little bit of a foxy, that sort of musty flavor that I, I guess has come to be known as what grapes taste like. But 
Um, but uh, that's two of them, uh, but there's 29 others. Wow. And uh, more, almost all of them grow here in the Midwest because we're at the, the uh, sort of the overlapping eco zones of the woodlands, the prairies, the Ozark Highlands, the Mississippi Delta. So there's uh, more genetic diversity here in these uh, Native American grapes and freshwater fishes and songbirds so, uh, <laughs> than any other state. So it, it's, uh, it was kind of became a, um, oh, I don't know, a, a, I would say it's intellectual, but it's not exactly intellectual to be out, uh, you know, getting dirty. Um, you know, Munson was also a philosopher, and one of his ideas paralleled something we learned in uh, design school was that it's one thing to just have a, uh, something pop into your head, but until you work it out in the real world, uh, you know, you're not really completing the thought, as it were. So, uh, I don't know, you put all that stuff together, and that led to the uh, the innocent kind of question. Like, um, he, uh, in this book that described hundreds of uh, varietals that he had developed, uh, and he said, oh, this makes a wonderful wine, this makes a great uh, table grape. Uh, so you don't really know what that means. Um, somebody <laughs> writing back in the 1890s or the early 1900s, um, so it kind of became a, uh, oh, a, a slippery slope to uh, try to track down these grapes, see what they, first of all, see if they grew around here, which, you know, they came out of the genetic material of this country. So they were co-evolved with Phloxera. Uh, that's not an issue for them. Uh, and then it's, uh, you know, what makes a <clears throat> grape that makes a wine that uh, has an interesting or uh, a worthy flavor. Is kind of where all that, uh, uh, yeah, and, and then the rest is, um, well, you know, I sometimes, uh, I mean, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not seeing any facial expressions or in front of a live audience, so I can't quite gauge, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the sense of humor <laughs> of anyone, but um, I do point out to some parents that they should be careful about what books they let their children read, because uh, uh, for myself, I think if I had uh, stumbled into gambling or drugs or any number of other vices, it would have been a lot uh, simpler and cheaper. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you, you are growing the finest what in your in, in all of yours? Uh, the, the 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 genuses? Yes. Uh, well, there, as I said, there's 27 of them. They all have Latin names, which I have never heard pronounced. So I'm I'm really reluctant <laughs> no, to, no, uh, no, no. to try here. But there there's about five or six of them. Estevelis is one of them, which is the um, I think Norton comes out of that. But there are a couple of other sister vines. But you can, um, you know, we we track down about 60 of these things, and you can you can see family resemblances of. Um, from a, a family to family, and a lot of them are crosses of uh, any number of, I mean, some have uh, one or two parentages, and some of them have five or six or seven. Um, you know, Labrusca, uh, there, there's some of that uh, bloodline is in some of these grapes. They, uh, it tends to have kind of a reddish growing tip. And um, if you notice it, well, uh, when the barometer drops, the leaves will sometimes turn over and, and show their silvery undersides. And uh, what's interesting about that is if you drive around Europe, you can see acres or well, hectares and hectares of uh, these grapes that are not vinifera. They're Labrusca and they're living over there. Right. Uh, there's other families that have quite a kind of like Lamanto and Manito uh, have quite an open canopy. So you hardly have to do any canopy training there. There's uh, oh, uh, what Borconelia, which is where Herbamont and Lenore come from. And those have uh, 
you know, large sort of Kelly green shoots and leaves. It's, um, you know, it, it's, um, you don't know these relationships when you sort of initially collect cuttings and whatnot. So the, uh, the vineyard is kind of a patchwork of all these different uh, creatures out there that are uh, cheek by jowl against one another. But, uh, you know, if, uh, if I'd known uh, what I know now, I probably could have arranged them all by some sort of color palette, but, uh, but that's <laughs> for the next generation, I guess. Did, did you, uh, these are all native grapes. You didn't do any crossbreeds or anything. These are what you have planted as native. Well, M- Munson is the guy that bred, that did the crossbreeding. And, and I will say, um, you know, what we've learned from history is that there's usually a community of people that do this. So, you know, Munson is the, is the, the easiest name to hang on that, but there are actually quite <laughs> a number of, of, uh, Germans, most of them here in Missouri, up, uh, mo- most, and most of them over towards, uh, the Eastern side of the state that were all engaged in breeding these grapes and in, uh, you know, exchanging stock and so forth. There's a guy named, uh, Jacob Rommel, who's from uh, Osage County, where I'm from, and he bred, uh, well, so Munson bred grapes and named them after his uh, his buddies. Uh, so there's a Rommel grape, there's a Bell grape, there's a uh, Hussman, there's about a dozen of those. Uh, but Rommel also bred grapes, and he had one called Elvira, which is uh, uh, which we managed to track down, and it is uh, the, the grape that is planted in the Azores. Uh, we've had a filmmaker come through who's doing a... Um, kind of a, uh, well, put in a plug for a film called Vitas Prohibita, which is uh, put together by a French filmmaker, and it's about these Native American grapes and uh, their journey over to Europe. Uh, He's doing another version, um, a more Americanized or American-friendly version of that same story from the American perspective, and he's heading down to Brazil in a couple of months because there are some of these that are sort of the backbone of... uh, vast regions of uh, of winemaking down there. Wow. I never realized the American grapes were spread so far around the world. It, it, it just, hmm. Well, yeah, they... I, we, have, um, we found old, uh, old 1850s, 60s. Uh, there's a couple of these, one called Lenore, which is also called Yacas or Black Spanish. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was planted on all six continents, uh, as well as Herbermont, which is, and these are both from the like 1840s. They, they predate Munson, <clears throat> but we have visited a 140-year-old vineyard of this uh, Lenore in the uh, uh, in the Savan. It's uh, in southern France. It's not really known as a as a wine-growing region, but uh, this is where the uh, Cathars. Uh, I don't know if you're you're familiar with your various heretic uh, sects, but uh, they they are sort of a, you know stubborn free thinkers, and I guess they that that translates over into the grapes that they grow. <laughs> It just—it seems to me. Well, and thought that came to mind when you were mentioning these grapes, the, the diseases that can get them. I mean, we're—I'm in Florida, and Pierce disease is horrible down here on grapes. Uh, does it affect the native grapes up there, or is it too cold? Yeah, we're, we're kind of north of the line. Um, okay. But Herbermont, uh, I know, came from South Carolina. There's uh, a lot of debate about where Lenore came from, but I th- it's also fairly resistant to Pierce's, is my understanding, because uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, planted down in Texas quite a bit, and I imagine it's there because it is resistant. I think Lamanto is another varietal that has some uh, acreage down there. But for in the main, most of the varieties that we have, um, as far as I know, we're the only place uh, that's growing them commercially. 
That's the only place I know of, too. I mean, you can see them whenever you look on the different places that sell grape clippings and um, stock. You're the only one that has ever came up that do have the big variety of all the Native American grapes. Uh, you don't have any anything that uh, has came out of uh, University of Minnesota or out of Cornell, have you? Uh, no, no, not anymore. When, when I first started, uh, you know, we planted some vinifera, we planted some French hybrids, and and then as I it sort of dawned on me that you know the thing to focus on were these Native American grapes, so the rest went by the wayside. There's no reason, you know, for me to engage in that if other people are doing it. No, yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, you're just competing with others that are putting out the same thing all the time. You mentioned something when you started to talk about the Native American grapes, the flavor, the foxiness of it. I, this is something that I've always tried to explain to people what it is. And I've I've always described it as a mustiness. Am I wrong on that? What is a good definition of foxiness in the grapes? <laughs> well, yeah, I think if you soaked your dog in the sink, uh, that would be kind of good. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I want to be clear: the foxiness is associated with Labrusca, just one of those uh, genuses. The rest are clean. So, part of the missionary uh, impulse here, like some of the varieties we have, if they had too much of that in them, uh, they they're you know back, back to the dustbin of history. Um, I will say there are a couple that have just a wee bit, and if it's if it's not too overbearing, it kind of is like a muscat, uh, muscat, sort of. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a pleasing. It can be nice and melon like in in light doses, but yeah, if it if it has that, uh, well, you know, that conquer flavor, it, there, there's no reason for us to put any energy into it. Yeah, you know, down here we do a lot of muscadine grapes in, in the southeast and all that, and the muscadine just sort of screams that foxiness to it. And whenever anybody mentions American grapes or Native American grapes, I think the mind immediately goes to the muscadine and not to all the other possibilities and all the others out there. Right. So as I said at the beginning, I'm, I mean, that's one of our, our missionary goals is to uh, – confuse people and remind them that they maybe don't know as much as they think they know. Uh, but I'm also, I'm always reminding myself of that uh, as well. So it's not just, you know, not just me. Well, there's just there's so many different varieties of native American grapes. I never realized, like I said, I saw your podcast and I was just totally overwhelmed by all the information you guys threw out there. And uh, it, it was so interesting. Teravox winery. Okay. You, make wine from all of these different grapes separately or do you just play with it or what's the, what's the end game? Um, well, the, the goal is uh, kind of bifurcated. Um, yes, we are trying to see what each of these varietals has to say. So, um, so that means it's a, you know, single varietal wines, but at the same time, we do a red blend and a white blend just to see kind of where they, um, uh, you know, where their synergy. Uh, but in order to understand what a blend is, you have to kind of understand what the ingredients are. And and even within that, there's um, like the, uh, well, Norton is probably the grape that we have that, that other people grow and uh, 
you know, is the most recognized. But you can make um, you can make a couple of rosés out of that one you treat as a you know typical reduced winemaking protocols, and the other as an as an oxidized thing, and they're radically different. I mean, one has the floral notes, the other one has the structure. But then if you make a wine from the um, you know the 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 must that remains, uh, it's it's so thick and dark that you can pretty much uh, stand a spoon up in it. Uh, and then it also makes a really great port. So, uh, and yeah. actually a port that I, I think is, uh, you know, one of the better ports that, uh, um, that's, that's out there. Um, and, and there's, a uh, one of the white grapes, Watumka is, um, you know, that has a little bit of that, uh, that muscat, uh, element to it. It's, it's when, it, when it gets ripe, uh, the whole vineyard smells of elderberry flowers. I mean, it's just the most floral thing. And so we're really trying to figure out how to capture those aromatics. But, um, and this is a Clark Smith's idea, actually. We, uh, because of the uh, kind of the levels of acid and tannin in it, he thought it would uh, make actually a white court, which uh, we did. And damn, it's, it's, it's really interesting <laughs> and pretty nice. And then um, at the, uh, beyond that, if, um, I'm trying to think of, I, there's, there's a way of saying this politely, but um, when we had a transition of winemakers, we'll say there was a kind of a, a, a barrel of this that was forgotten back in the corner of the cellar and uh, for five years. Um, so by the time we dug it out, the headspace was, uh, I don't know, like 60%. And uh, oh. before before pitching it, we tasted it and it it uh, it's a wine that tastes like single malt scotch. Wow, it's it's just the damnedest thing. So we're trying to figure <laughs> out what the so the the point of all that is like within each of these cultivars, uh, you know we we don't know what what they're capable of. We're trying to figure that out. But the French and the you know everybody else has had thousands of years to figure out what Cabernet is all about, and we've had uh, you know ten years. Mm, yeah. And you know, and even then, they don't know what the Cabernet is all about because there's so many different styles of that anyway. So you know, it's ongoing for them also. Uh, yeah, the Norton is a fascinating grape. I, I have, I've had Norton. In fact, there's a winery not too far uh, in the same county I live in here uh, that does grow Norton and make a Norton down here in Florida, not being affected by Pierce disease, surprisingly. And he does a Norton here, um, makes it in a dry style and a rosé. But uh, I've had I've had sweet Nortons, I've had dry Nortons, I've had port Nortons. It's just, it's such a versatile grape and it doesn't, uh, doesn't disappoint every time I've ever had it in any style. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and it will it will hang on the vine for well even uh, through frost and beyond. Uh, before oh, I um, uh, let's uh, I'm trying to figure out how to condense these stories and make them interesting to uh, to strangers. But um, <laughs> you know, be, so in 2012, so I, we started this uh, thing in 1996, and it was all a um, you know kind of a hobby that started to go off the rails. Um, and in 2012, uh, my accountant uh, told me that I needed to start to actually try to, you know, sell something if I was going to keep conducting the expenses. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's where the uh, commercial part of it came through. But prior to that, I was just doing this, uh, you know, kind of as a, well, as a hobby with the, you know, the whole Tom Sawyer thing where you tell your friends it's fun to do this. And then, uh, 
next year you have to make new friends because they discovered yeah. the, <laughs> they, a lot they of work. But, you know, when you do, and I also have a, a business where I design museums on the side. So it's not like, you know, I can go out there, uh, uh, well, through the weekend. So uh, consequently, the Norton crop was, I think we had up to like 24 different little vintages. So you got there one Saturday and the next Sunday, and then you get a little time on Thursday. And, uh, and these were all done very casually. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm not sure I even measured bricks because what's the point? I mean, the grapes yeah. are ripe. What are you going to do about it? So um, <laughs> you just do it. And Clark came out and made a blend of three of them and uh, took it out to Appalachian America. And I think Dick Peterson and he and I think Gordon, someone, said that it was the best Norton American Norton they'd ever had. So that was wow. that was kind of encouraging. Um, the other encouragement came a couple of years prior to that when my my French wife uh, tasted one of the Nortons and said that she would actually put that in her mouth. And um, <laughs> you know, anyone, anyone who knows her knows that that's, that's, that's about as high praise as you get. And I, we're thinking of maybe putting that on a label as an endorsement. <laughs> yeah. As the French woman says, this is, this is <laughs> Oh, That's funny. Um, I was looking at your wines. I'm on your website here. I was looking at your different wines. Um, <laughs> love your names. Uh, what Tumka is that a grape? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and Albania. Uh, these are all the Munson varieties. Yeah, those are uh, Albania. I'll, as a, as a side note, when we. Uh, when we went to bottle that, we were informed that we could not put that word on the label. Oh. Um, because, yeah, it's uh, the TTB regulations that they're, they're trying to, um, you know, defend the public, uh, you know, your, your avid listeners from, from fraud, uh, as though we would have grapes from Albania um, oh. on there. And uh, God knows. Anyway, uh, so, the, so the word is actually printed backwards. Which makes it a graphic as opposed to a word. So there you are. I see it on the label. That I never noticed that. That is interesting. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, the TTB is always a loaded last, isn't it? Um, well, yeah. Well, there's also a grape called America. And um, oh. when oh. it came time to apply for that label, they were on to us and they said, no way. So uh, I think the label, we just printed it without vowels. And, uh, you know, we have to explain what it is, but at least uh, it's got a label. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, all these, these names, Heldago, is that a, uh, that a, one of the Mumson grapes? Uh, it is. And uh, one of the um, – Hidalgo and Watumka and Albania are, the I think, the, of the, the, the white grapes that I think have the most promise. Um, but I'll, I'll mention one thing more thing about Watumka that it uh, it shatters really easily, oh. and um, you know when when it's ripe you've got maybe three days to get out there and get that fruit or it's going to be on the ground and so we're we're discovering a couple of things which you know, may be the reason some of these grapes aren't too widely planted that they can they have their quirks and they can be a real you know, pain in the in the patootie but uh, I really love that grape so it's you know. 
I don't know. You, you may have children like that that uh, you, know, you put up with their. Uh, <laughs> you put up with uh, They, they chatter easily, but you you de- you deal with that. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, I have to ask, you know, since I had a winery in the vineyard, do well. You mentioned the canopy and all that. Do you have to spend a lot of time on any of these grapes, training them, uh, uh, cutting the back on the canopy to open up? Are they susceptible to? Uh, oh, any number of um, diseases and uh, oh, hell, I can't think of uh, uh, molds or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in this climate, you really have to uh, watch out for, for fungus. And uh, as far as canopy, um, I think I mentioned in passing Art Lamanto, Menito, uh, right. some of those. Really open canopies. You hardly have to have to mess with that at all. The aforementioned Watumka is a very droopy kind of thing that you have to tie up. So it, it's a little bit of a of a pain. And uh, we actually went through a couple of years of training it as a high wire, so it would just hang down, thinking that we could just you know reach in there and grip the grapes. But um, and actually the yield was oh I don't know 50 percent higher than but. Wow. Just going into the vine and disturbing it to get the grapes uh, took so much more effort, and and you lost so much fruit that it's not worth it. So the the ecology of uh, growing and tending these it's not it's not a simple linear thing. Oh, and so each so each of these uh, different. Uh hybrids or well I can't say hybrids because they're not hybrids. Each of these different grapes have their own idiosyncrasies even more so than what you find in vinifera it sounds. Oh yeah, yeah. And even the fruit, I mean there's uh, I think Carmen was one where uh, at harvest it had, you know, you measure the tannins that it was a certain level and then uh after it was picked you check it the next day and and half of them aren't there. I mean <laughs> it, it dropped like it, it the, the 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 molecules do not go away, but they bind with proteins or they do something. I mean the 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 uh, you know the bricks and acid and all that that has a, a fairly understood linear curve for vinifera just don't it don't play here. I mean we were really? we were told uh, wisely by someone um, when we started out here from the University of Missouri. He said, "Beware of people from afar bearing numbers." Um, <laughs> you know, we, you just we just gotta got to figure it out and try this and try that. And that's why, uh, that's sort of where the Terravox name come from. It's the voice of the land because we're having this conversation and it's a very slow and lugubrious conversation because, you know, every click is uh, one season long, but eventually we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what they have to say. Well, some of these like Vinoles and Tramonette's been around. I mean, you hear of these grapes all the time. Uh, so it yeah, like- I'll, I'll say um, you know everything in moderation, including moderation. Th- those are those are two vestiges of uh, the original sort of very very much more expansive planting that I just kind of like what they do. So I'm you know so so they're the I guess the exception that proves proves the rule. So. Okay, and then. Uh- uh, the uh, the rosés you have what three different rosés here that uh, are all all different colors. The munch rosé, uh, what grape is used in that? 
Well, it's a grape uh, named uh, <laughs> named Munch, named oh, after Friedrich really? Munch. Yeah, Friedrich oh. Munch. Uh, so he's one of those Ger- Missouri Germans. He came over here to found a free German state back in the uh, 1860s. Uh, that didn't work out, but he became a uh, Presbyterian minister, a state senator, and a friend of Munson. So they were exchanging fruit. Uh, Friedrich's brother, Ricard, started Mount Pleasant Vineyards in uh, Augusta, Missouri. Augusta oh. you know, being ABA number one. And right. that's where we got our country. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the source was like one step removed from, from the mother ship. Wow. I did didn't recognize the name. So, uh, Sang, was it Sagny? Sagny? Oh, Sagny. That's that's one of the Norton rosés that uh, is made by the by oxidation. Oh, okay. Okay. So if you and try then, that, it'll have a lot more structure than the uh, I think Sunny Slope is the, is what we call the other uh, Norton rosé. Right. And you. Uh, you you asked if we were making wine from all the grapes. We had I think 37 lots uh, last year. Uh, wow! But some of them, like we're you know we're doing Watumka three ways, we're doing Norton uh, four ways, um, and some of the vines just aren't productive yet. But there are a couple of more varietals. There's one called Volney, you know, as in Thomas Volney Munson. That was his middle name. Uh, there's one called Ellen Scott, which is his wife's maiden uh, name. Um, and last rose. So those those will all all make rosés, but uh, we are just on the verge of getting enough production to actually you know make a batch. How what do you uh, usually get out of uh, well? What's your production levels on uh, each varietal? I mean, do you look at okay if I can't get uh, 200 cases, I'm not going to make commercially or what what is your criteria oh lordy uh we dream for 200 cases of um <laughs> well that that is also bifurcating i mean we we are um you know what i uh, uh, occasionally i've given uh presentations at the local uh, business uh, school and, and the basic lesson is if you uh you know planning ahead uh if you if you do too much of it you would never do it uh, mm. do the thing, so, so stop it. Um, meaning, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the spreadsheets of pro, pro formers and all that. Um, we, so we began with the, the simple um, question of do these grapes make good wine disassociated from a business plan. But now, of course, you know, at some point we are working to become economically uh, viable, which means we do have to get to the point, and we're trying to zero into oh about a dozen, maybe twenty varietals where we can make a barrel or a pallet uh, enough to supply or to, to feed a supply chain. Um, but there's a parallel effort, which is to um, to keep the the spirit of uh, experimentation alive. So there's a second kind of tier, if you will, where a couple of the rows enough to make. You know, 20, 30 gallons of something to um, to to just keep the um, well, you know, to feed that end of the story. Mm, okay. So it's it's the matter of trying to find ones that will be financially uh, fruitful, but yet you're still experimenting with everything else. That's the way to do it. That sounds interesting. Um, yeah. You're. Uh, your red grapes here, Lenore. That's uh, 
we talked about a little bit Lenore there. Do any of these reds have have tannins? Uh, you know, whenever you think of uh, Vitus vinifera, you're always thinking of the red wines, the tannins that it presents and all that. Are these Native American grapes given tannins, uh, acid, the all the four in vinifera, or are they uh, presenting these things differently? Uh, I, uh, for, <laughs> they're all, well, differently, I think, is the watchword of the day. Um, <laughs> Lenore, <clears throat> sorry, and, and Norton, you know, I think they have, they have plenty of tannin. Uh, some of the others, Lamanto is, uh, I mean, man, we can barely get bricks up to where it's a legal wine. Um, but <laughs> it, it still tastes good. Uh, they, they do tend to be a little bit shy on, <clears throat> on the bricks and hence alcohol. So they're, they're low alcohol in the main. Um, but, uh, they're, they're all different. Um, and you know, sometimes each year is different. We had a crop, you were talking about yield, the, um, you know, the, the sort of the basic, um, you know, initial planting of 12 vines of each, just so you have enough to do something with. But uh, 12 vines of Long John yielded about 200 pounds of fruit. Um, and 12 uh, vines of uh, another variety called Marguerite was, I don't know, maybe 12 pounds. Oh. So, uh, you know, Mar Marguerite is, I'm afraid, not destined to be too long for this, for our world, because I, that's just, you know, we can't. I mean, we, we joke about the $700 bottle of wine, but uh, it's not because it's uh, valued that at, at auction. It's just that's that's kind of what we feel went into it. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's interesting. <laughs> these, uh, do any of these uh, – uh, what, what is the fruit size of most of these? Are these small berries? Are they rather large? I mean, the muscadine grape themselves come out with quite large <laughs> – uh, uh, fruit. How about all these? Are they smaller, or larger? What what is? Uh, let's see. Well, I, I guess I could reference hailstone size. Of, let's go. From, <laughs> um, well, the uh, the aforementioned the marguerite is down to I'd say pea size. Uh, oh, Norton's a little bit larger than that, um, and that ranges all the way up to the aforementioned Long John. There's another one called Beacon, where you're you're kind of uh, on a marble size or shooter marble size. Um, mm -hmm. But most of them are regular marbles, uh, I guess is, is the best reference I can think of. So they're not real big grapes like the, like the uh, muscadine that. No, 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 just, okay. I, just, just two of the varieties have sort of, you know, remarkably are larger than the others uh, size berries. Mm, okay. Uh, the, uh, uh, Cloeta, Cloeta, is mm -hmm. that uh, is that a uh, varietal grape there too? Is that one of the uh, American grapes? Uh, yeah, yeah, and that it one, um, yeah, it, it's it's a really pretty grape, uh, at least the, the fruit. And <clears throat> um, you know, this is an, another uh, an argument we have with uh, with Clark about. Uh, we can either say these grapes aren't like anything you've had, or we have to say these grapes are kind of like something like this so that people can find some reference point. So, <laughs> right. um, uh, yeah, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a quandary, but the, the Cloeta, you know, it, it's got those little uh, sort of coffee chocolate notes that is like some Merlots that I've had. 
Um, but the other people say, oh, this is kind of like a Pinot. So I, you know, tastes are different. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I like about wine is that it's, it's ultimately democratic and that if you like something, no one can tell you that you don't. So you sort of know everything you need to know. No, that's but, not true. Um, there's a, as we are, you know, as we are discovering, or at least I am, that there's an infinite amount of uh, stuff you don't know. And, you know, the more you learn, the more you're, your the, the boundary of what you don't know seems to expand. Yeah, all the time. It's uh, yeah, uh, definitely. And I, yeah, that's why I find it so fascinating about these Native American grapes. Is I never realized the the uh, range of them. Whenever I thought about them, I always thought of muscadine, and I never pursued it any further. Um, yeah, Saren, go on. Well, as, as um, you know, you're going down the street and you go to your liquor store and there's uh, just imagine if there were 27 liquor stores and they were all, uh, you know, had different lineups in there because uh, every every seed makes a different and unique uh, grape. So the, the the possibilities in there are are endless, although, you know, we've lost a lot of the wild stock uh, through cultivation and ranging and all that stuff. Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, the uh, yeah. Serendip, is that a, a port style? Uh, it is. It's um, <clears throat> uh, well, so so Clark is, um, uh, you know, Clark consults with us, and when we run into right. you know weird situations, we'll call him up, and he'll make a recommendation. And the, the aforementioned Lamanto that uh, had you know low sugars one year. Uh, we uh, called to say, you know, what do we do with this? And um, I think there was an error in translation where we might have gotten uh, like a decimal off. <laughs> uh, and what to do with Lamanta. So it turned out into something that was not what we were expecting. But, but we, uh, you know, it, 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 it became a port. <laughs> yeah, I, I I made a strawberry port, and that originally because, <laughs> because of an error too. Not you know, I just ooh, this would be a good strawberry port, and so I pursued it that uh, way. Yeah, okay. but but it's it's a, it's a great thing. I mean, it, uh, with uh, yeah, we have chocolate tastings here, and it's it's the one that uh, is the crowd pleaser. Oh, I can imagine it would be. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, and let's see what was the an action here. Oh, uh, that's the Sanji Rose. You don't have these in order. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, let me go back to the ones. I'm I'm bouncing around on your your website here. Uh, at different ones. Okay, Star a Stark's Star Report. Is that also a port? Uh, it is. Uh, Stark Star was uh, developed by a, um, that was post Munson. It was a Professor Bachman from Arkansas that um, I, I came across an ad that was published. I don't know where, but it, you have a picture of uh, Professor Bachman and his little uh, you know, bow tie and his uh, derby hat and his vest. And, and the <laughs> ad talks about the probity and the character of Professor Bachman. Uh, it doesn't say much about the grapes, but, you know, there, there you are. Uh, but the grapes behind them were just prodigious producers. And uh, oh. it was once, I understand, the foundation of the Missouri port industry. Um, 
So we managed to snag a hundred cuttings of that and only got wow. one vine out of it because you know out of a hundred all of our stuff has to, has to come from cuttings, um, and uh, which might be an indication of you know one of those quirks of this varietal just does not propagate very easily. But mm. once you get one vine, it uh, you know you can layer it and then uh, and but that's why it's taken 16 years to to uh, establish some of these uh, varietals and get get our our 12 test plants but stark star is one that we're doing uh, even more of there's um there's a there are conflicting stories about its history whether it was purchased by stark brothers nursery out of louisiana missouri and um you know they stuck their name on it or there's another version of some guy named starks that um that adopted it but uh, you know there there's all these little rabbit holes that I don't have time to run down each and every one of them. But uh, if, mm, I, yeah. if I find the of answer, I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, I, I have a question ever since you mentioned it. I am curious about it. Design museums, is there uh, that many new museums that are popping up around the world that you are able to design them? Uh, yeah, in fact, it, it appears to be a growth industry where uh, people are becoming aware that culture is something that needs to be uh, defined and and, uh, and and promulgated. So uh, yeah. Oh, that's just, that's fascinating. I never consider. Well, yeah, there are so many other jobs out there that we never consider because we never run across it and. That's one of them. I've never considered that. Yeah, well, there's there's a scene from my uh, early years, and uh, you know, you're you're there, you know, working on putting this exhibit together, and uh, there's a, a father and her his daughter are, are happen by and look over the construction fence, and the daughter's just thunderstruck. He says, "Daddy, they they make these." Uh, you know, it doesn't occur to most people that museums are actually made by someone. And yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it's, it's, and that's true. You just, you know, they, you, you every time you see, it, I love museums. They're they're fascinating to me, and I I just never thought too much about the concept of making them. It's just always they're there, and so. Oh. oh. Well, it's quite it's quite interesting, and and actually the, uh, the 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 French guy when he showed up, he looked around and he said, oh. Who looked at the vineyard and he said, "Oh, this this is a museum. You know, it, it, it really is. Well, yeah, it, well, you know, it, it, it has cultural value. It is not uh, fiscally viable, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, you, never, you don't think about that much. A museum does not have to be walls and and all that. It, it could be open, just like the vineyard you have there with all the different varieties and everything." Uh, yeah. Are you look, looking at expanding, uh, bringing in other types of uh, grapevines that, uh, as well, you discover um, them, are you pretty much set? Well, uh, <laughs> I I set. <laughs> um, like, like I said, we're trying to get from you know 60 down to 40, down to 20, but then uh, there's a guy named Cliff Ambers who we came across. Um, and I know he, he, let's see, I think it was an introduction from Lucy Morton, if you know her. She's a, she's quite a known figure in the field. Um, but anyway, he's been breeding grapes out of, out of Virginia for low these many years. So he sent us 25 uh, varietals uh, that he's produced. So we're, we have a smaller test plot of his because, you know, there's only so much you can do. Um, 
So that's that's going on at the same time we're trying to narrow down and and get at least the uh, how shall I say the quote unquote commercial uh, acreage uh, locked in because you know you have to find a balance between your production and your customer base and uh, and your vineyard and and all that. So we're we're feeling yeah. our way. And just playing, you know. I mean, it's always fun to play, but you gotta gotta be commercially viable to to be able to play. How many how many acres do you have total? Uh, we in grapes we we had yeah. seven and we are doubling to fourteen, but that's been a five year process um, because we we can't just order the vines from you know a nursery someplace. We have to propagate all the stuff. Oh, Slowly, yeah. so it's definitely not a, um, a get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> no, I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you, you'd have to, everything that you want to replant, you'd have to get cuttings and let it root and all that other stuff. Wow, yeah, that could become Yeah, and, and, and at some point, uh, my wife is going to find out what's going on, and then, then it's all over. <laughs> Don't forget the seventeenth of this month, Wife Appreciation Day. So, <laughs> yeah, I, made, I made note of that. Yeah, yeah. I, national National Day, Wife Appreciation Day. Um, yeah, get, get her a bottle of wine. There, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I want her for good French wines. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how many? Oh, I was going to ask you earlier, how many people you have working for you? I'll refrain from making a joke about that, but now we have a winemaker, vineyard manager, and then we have his assistant. We have a sales and marketing person, and then we are uh, are, are adding on a uh, an events person just to try to get people up here. Uh, you know, we've discovered that there's only so much you can do to entice someone online, or you know, even through conversations like this, to actually click on and and buy something. That's they almost have to come up here and see what's going on. And then uh, you see the little light bulb go off and they realize, uh, you know, what, what it is. Cause we, we really, we're not selling wine so much as just the idea of exploring something that you're not familiar with, which, um, and before someone, you know, embarks on that kind of course, they have to feel comfortable enough or like they know enough to sort of explore something new. So it's not a, uh, you know, that, that, that's a whole process too. And well, you know, and then there's you know some part-time and you know seasonal stuff to, as we need them for various times of the year and seasons. Right. You, you're actually selling history. I mean, it's uh, what you have there. Uh, Native American grapes is something that you're not finding anywhere else, and so it's it's really part of the history of the country and what we've done with grapes. So many people are locked into the Vitus vinifera, and they have a hard time escaping that mindset. And I think your everything that you offer is so new and different, think they know one should drink that it's hard to break that, uh, that uh, well, that mindset really. Uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, as I said, we're feeling our way on, on all these dimensions. And one is like, who's, who's our audience? I mean, it's either, People that are have been been around the block and are so jaded with uh, <laughs> that they're <laughs> ready to try something new, or it's people at the other end of the uh, you know the youth uh, who haven't really uh, formulated their ideas of what wine is or isn't. 
um, and are willing to explore. So, but uh, you know, we're we're out there. We're trying to put out a narrative uh, for all of them. There, there's also um, to back up to the museum thing for a little bit. The, there's also the um, uh, the, the particular history of the German Missourians and all these people that were corresponding with uh, with Munson. That uh, there, there's a cultural history here. That the whole attitude of uh, oh, you know, kind of planting a tree even if you might not be around to enjoy the fruit. Uh, sort of right. thinking systematically right. and long term. Um, that is, uh, I mean, I like to think say that uh, this part of the world was the Silicon Valley of of global viticulture at one time. The uh, the Missouri State entomologist Charles Valentine Riley is the person with uh, Emil Pachon that figured out the whole phylloxera uh, that identified that bug and that as the cause of the of the, the plague that was devastating the European vineyards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I uh, I know that. Well, being being from Missouri, I've I've followed that story and all that. Although you talked to some Texan wineries and they swear to you that was Texas that did it. But uh, <laughs> well, well, no, no, that 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 can all be clarified um, because there's uh, so the French um, now the French remember this was at the time that Louis Pasteur was discovering the the germ theory. Right. So it was a, a it was about a seven year process for the French Academy to come around to the understanding that there was a bug that was infecting the vines. Um, the the Galen theory of medicine was that the you know the vines were having some sort of moral failure, and that was attracting <laughs> the bug to come and attack them. Um, so in the middle of all that, there was a guy named Thomas Viella who made a journey to the United States. And he uh, came through, uh, we've got a map of it somewhere, you know, through the East Coast, visited Munson down in Texas, and Munson took him around and introduced him to X, Y, and Z. And I think um, Borkinelli is one of the varietals that lives in the chalk hills of uh, Texas, and that's the rootstock that he recommended to that be planted in Burgundy, because those are similar soils over there. But Viala also came through Missouri and talked to Hussman and, uh, and and Isidore Bush and a bunch of those folks. So um, it's true that Munson, who was out of Texas, did send a lot of rootstock over to France. But the there were boxcars and barge loads that came out of Missouri. Oh, that that much? Wow, I didn't realize that they sent that much over there. The, uh, is uh, is there a AVA in your area? In if there's not, are you going to apply for one, or what's happening with that? Uh, well, over on the other side of the state, there's AVA number one around uh, Augusta, yes. Missouri. Um, I, there's uh, there there ironically, there's a Los Hills AVA up in Iowa, uh, north of us. Uh, oh. Why that doesn't embrace our land, which is also Los Hills, same same formation, I don't know. Um, hmm. The rest. Uh, I, it, it's something up there on the shelf, but I, quite frankly, I have enough projects right now to, uh, and uh, getting involved with lawyers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, AVAs are nice. Say, I'm in an AVA, but it's, most people don't know what they are. I try to promote it and, and educate people about AVAs, but, you know, most people don't know what they are and don't care. And so if you are one, that's great. If you aren't, that's okay, too. So it's uh, 
not really. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll limp along. If you, if you te- if you can give us evidence that it would actually make a material difference, uh, I'm I'm on it. But otherwise, um, I, yeah, I got to do. Yeah, and that's just it. I don't think it will make a difference. You know, you can say, "Oh, I'm an AVA," and then people go, "Ah, oh, what? Oh, okay." And then that uh, would be yeah, up. no. I mean, if, if I were to do anything like that, there's a bunch of our grapes that aren't even recognized as grapes by the TTB. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's more than just a simple battle of trying to become an AVA. It's a simple battle of trying to convince the TTB that you actually have grapes there. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it, it's an ontological question of existence as opposed to a nomenclature. <laughs> very, very existential. John yeah, Paul Sartre probably works uh, for TTB somewhere. <laughs> probably, yeah. And TTB is almost impossible to argue with, too, because they know. You know, that's just they know. And so... Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> certainty, certainty is a wonderful thing if you can afford it. Yes, I, yeah, they they really they know what uh, what everything is. So, well, uh, I'll tell you before we go, I want you to give us your email address and uh, your website and uh, all pertinent information. So, if anybody is in your part of the country they can find you or they can order oh do you ship all over oh yeah yeah we have a the deal with vino shipper and i there oh. might be one or two states that uh have it prohibited but uh yeah generally we can we can go anywhere okay good uh so give us all the information so if anybody wants to uh, order from you or check out your website or visit you i think i might be up in uh kansas city or Liberty, actually, uh, the uh, middle part of October, and I am definitely going to make a trip up to you uh, while I'm there. Oh. So uh, I, uh, I will yeah. do that. But, do um, uh, well, so uh, website, uh, www.terravox, T-E-R-R-A-V-O-X, uh, dot wine. Um, I'm uh, Jerry, J-E-R-R-Y, TerraVox.Wine, and the phone number is 816-354-4903. And, uh, you know, we're here humping away, so, uh, yeah, absolutely come by if you're in the neighborhood. Do you have a uh, Facebook page? Uh, They do. (laughs) They do. (laughs) I, I, I have no social media accounts. I got no time. For that, I uh, got. I don't know. I can. Uh, I can have Michael or someone email that information to you if there's a way for you to 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 put that out there. Yeah, I'll put it on our Facebook page. Have him have him send you know that information, and I'll post it on our Facebook page, and uh, let the people you know contact it there. And if they need to get a hold of you, Facebook, Twitter, all those things are not Twitter anymore. Is it? It's X. Uh, any of that stuff. Um, well, yeah, I mean, ironically, everyone refers it to as X, formerly known as Twitter, which is even more syllable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, like uh, the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, that's, that's what it always reminds me of every time I see that. Yeah, well, exactly. That was, I guess that was Elon's role model or something. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So you get them both. So, Jerry? Thank you so much for taking the time tonight and talking about uh, the Native American grapes and your winery and what you're doing and all that stuff. 
it was uh, just as interesting as the um, video that uh, you did with uh, Stephen and uh, so I will uh, yeah the, the, those guys know a lot so uh, yeah it's be hopefully yeah. well uh, Ron thanks it's been a pleasure yeah it has and uh, I will definitely uh, be in touch when like I say I, I'm going to be in Kansas City I think uh, middle of October so I will definitely take the time to come up and visit with you uh, yeah, do uh, give give advance notice. I uh, I will. I, I spend about half the time on the uh, on the road with these museum projects, so there's a uh, you know, but uh, if I'm not here, someone else will be. But I hope to uh, meet you when you're here. I hope it works out that we can, and I'll look forward to it. And again, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, talking with us today. You betcha. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Right. You too. Now, okay. thank you very right. much. Bye. All right. That was fun. That uh, I I love this Native American grapes and all the different ones available. I had I I think I am as lost as most everyone out there is lost in the fact that when you think of Native American grapes, you think muscadine because that's really what people are aware of, and people love the muscadine grape. It, don't get me wrong; that's there is a big following. And every time somebody says a Native American grape, that is my thought. Not anymore, though, because there are so many others there with so many different flavors and tastes, and you don't have that that foxiness that the muscatine gives. And that has always been the big uh, turnoff for me in the in the muscatine grape family is that that uh, foxiness to it. So I'm looking forward to going up there and seeing him in October. I, I uh, works as a photographer for many years, and I have a nephew and future niece that is getting married in October, and I think I might be doing pictures for their wedding. So I will be going up for that and then take a trip over to uh, Terravox. That should be fun. So good interview, a lot of fun. Uh, i got one more interview to go uh, before I post up the uh, uh, original interview that uh, the web webinar that they did on uh, North American native grapes and wines uh, is what the subject was. Uh, we've talked to Clark and now we have talked to um, Jerry. So we got one more interview with Stephen, which should be pretty soon. He is the reason I didn't get him any sooner, he had pneumonia, and he was having trouble talking. His voice was lost on that. He sent me an email and said that he is mending, and he should be good pretty soon here. So uh, next contact I have with him, which well, the last one was about a week ago, next contact I have with him, I'll get him booked. We do have a guest next week, and I'm... Oh, geez. Who is it next week? Next week. I have so many notes here, and I have so many emails with so many. The problem is with trying to check on guests. I mean, with, with these guys like Clark Smith and, and Jerry and uh, Stephen, so their names. These are the guys I'm emailing. These are the ones I'm talking to. A lot of others are not. A lot of others are uh the uh, uh, publicist or 
whatever you want to call them. These are the people who uh, are uh, trying to get on different shows, interviews, and stuff like that. So I am trying to always find out who this person is or that person. I'm going to have to find out and let you know. Hang on. I've got it written down here. Where is it? I've got all these things spread out all over the place here. and I don't know where everything is. Here it is. Okay. Next week is going to be the 14th. Okay. So October? No. September. September 14th. There we go. Uh, Gino is going to be our guest. Uh, there we go. Uh, Gino is... Oh, okay. Um, California Wines. Uh, we talked to Allison, uh, what was it, a month ago about sustainability and climate. And now Gino's going to talk to us about uh, his topics of discussion. He has... Uh, different things that he is uh, more learned in and so we will talk with him they also California Wine uh, the California Wines has festivals, wine festivals and different things that they have scheduled around the state and so uh, the rest of this month and going into October so he's going to talk to us about that too so next week will be uh, Gino Carroll, D-I-C-A-R-O, will be our guest from uh, California Wines. And uh, should be an interesting interview then. So again, once more, thank you, Jerry. It was a very enjoyable interview. Had a good time and learned some stuff. And... Uh, uh, so uh, thank him for that. And we'll uh, come back next week. Don't forget, 17th, National Wife Appreciation Day. And we'll uh, see all of you next week uh, on All About Wine. Be safe out there. And uh, thanks for listening. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.